You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Under the Gold Dome, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Representative Brent Cox is with us right now, and he was, uh, I think you were the author of this initiative, right, Brent? Yes, I was. Yes. So tell us about this support for Israel resolution that was passed yesterday. Well, it was an, uh, a surprisingly exciting day. It was, it was, it was, um, some of the things that occurred weren't quite expected, but um, basically the the resolution stated two things. One, that we acknowledged as the state that Hamas is a terrorist group, which we're against. And two, that we stand with Israel and the Jewish people and all that they need to do to eradicate Hamas. So that was the purpose and the point of the resolution. And it also stated that we would be praying for all the families, innocent families that had been uh, involved and what's been going on as well. So there were 129 yeas and two nays, and there's 180 people in the legislature. Were all of them initially present, even though all of them didn't vote? Most most were there. There was a moment before we were able to present that um, there was a technicality that, that the Democrat Party was working on to see if, we should be presenting a resolution during special session. It's not a bill, it's a resolution. So therefore it was um, decided that yes, the resolution could go through. And then there was uh, a recess and uh, the recess was, I guess about 35 minutes where the Democrat caucus got together to discuss, I guess where they were, they came back and um, there was about two that voted no and roughly 30 that walked or, basically walked on the vote. And then what about the others? They just didn't vote? The the others voted in support of it. So you had a split Democrat Party and pretty much all of the Republican side. I think we may have had one or two that went around, but um, all the Republicans were in support of the resolution. So were there, and there's 180 total in the, in the state house. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So, um, you know, first of all, you've never heard me probably make this speech before, but I get so angry when people don't vote. And right. I'll tell you why. Because you asked for this job. You went out and campaigned for it. You raised money for it. You knocked on doors. I don't mean you personally, but you did too. You asked right. for it. No one forced you to do it. And part of the part of the thing you're supposed to do is you're supposed to vote. You're voting right. in response to things. And right. when people walk out, whether it was Jen Jordan on the uh, Jordan on the Senate side a couple of years ago when she didn't want to vote on anything that was going to hurt her as an attorney general uh, candidate, uh, or what happened here yesterday, where thirty people just didn't, you know, walked out like they had more important things to do, it drives me nuts. I, I get it. I'm, I'm kind of of the same cut of cloth. That my take is, I'm I'm a yes or a no. And um, I'm a no till I'm convinced yes. That's kind of how my logic is. And I have to work to yes. And it's important that you make a stance and and you you let the people know what you're standing for. Pretty much if you walk, you're voting no, right? So you're not in support of something. It's just you didn't hit the red button. So what do you think were the reasons? Do they have districts where they have split? You know, I mean, if they have a district where the people wouldn't support it, why wouldn't you vote no? I mean, well, it, it was it was interesting. We have, um, for instance, down in Chatham County, which is one of the oldest settlements, if you will, for the Jewish people in the state of Georgia. I think maybe the first it's believed to be the first governor in the U.S. that was Jewish was from the state of Georgia many years ago. But Chatham County had three Democrats walk, which was a little surprising that that occurred. And, and I don't, I don't, it, the concern wasn't that they were in support of, I mean, there are everyone I believe is against Hamas. The question becomes 
Um, some are wanting to hear ceasefire on what's going on in Gaza. Others are, you didn't mention Palestine. And we specifically didn't mention, we didn't mention any of those groups. Like, uh, clearly there's innocent lives that are Jewish, Israeli, other parts of the world, Palestinians, Arab Muslims. I mean, from all over the world. There's no way that we possibly know everyone that's been impacted. So the word, so just that we're praying with the families, that's important that we get them all and we don't exclude anyone that has been impacted innocently from what's going on. But here still, all the blood that's that's been shed to this day, it all lies at the hands of Hamas and the seeds they sowed. I mean, if you reverse this, I mean, we, one great point yesterday was that if Hamas would put down their guns, there would be peace. If Israel puts down their guns, there would be no Israel. So that's a great point. No, I think you're right about that. And and one of the challenges that I think we have when we look at this issue is that they really can't explain. One of your colleagues was on another radio show this morning, uh, Spencer Fry, who was one of the people that voted no, um, or, I, or, or he walked one of the he, two. He walked. He, he walked. <laughs> and he twisted... You know, I mean, he went through five different reasons why he did he voted no and just really couldn't explain it, because I think that's what the problem is. You really can't explain why you would be opposed to any of any of the things that were said there. Uh, And you're right that that Israel things would still be going along fine and that the whole thing, the whole Palestinian thing drives me nuts, too, because I know the history. The term Palestinian was never used until 1964, and it had to do with the Palestinian Liberation Army. There was no country ever called Palestine, okay? And and if if you want to talk about, and they call the Israelis, some people call the Israelis colonizers. Well, no, they've been there since the beginning. They right. were they were the ones driven out. You'd think they would be cheering about them coming back, but it's right. not the well, way it goes. So the, what, the, no. what the point I'm making is that the folks that oppose this stuff have to twist themselves up in such knots to justify it that they know they're wrong. Yeah, it's it's uh, the, the, so Yahya Sinwar was um, in 2006 was locked up in prison for four life sentences for killing Palestinian collaborators with the Israeli government and was locked up for those killings. He then comes down with a brain tumor and thought he was going to die. Ultimately, Israeli doctors helped cure him from his brain tumor, and he lived. Then he was released in 2011 for an exchange of one Israeli soldier for a 1,000 prisoners, one of which was him, and he is the bin Laden of Hamas in Gaza. And I, I, I show that analogy is that the Israeli people truly are trying to bring light and life to people. While even when they, when the other side in Hamas gets life, they're still trying to kill the very people that help save their life. It's that simple. It's either you're bringing life or you're not. And they have to eradicate Hamas to keep this evil from happening. And, and, you know, God speaks. That's where I stand with them. I am strong, Israel. You know that already. And um, we just got to keep supporting the only democracy in the Middle East. It's pretty simple. It's very simple. Brent Cox, thank you so much for being with us today. Keep fighting the good fight. Thanks. Have a great Christmas. Y'all come to the Capitol. The tree's up. It is beautiful down here right now. It's local radio, and that's why you're listening. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It was announced a couple days ago that uh, Lauren Curry was going to be the first female chief of staff for a governor of Georgia. And it got me to thinking about my good friend, Joan Kirchner Carr, who is... Uh, who has been the chief of staff to three senators for a while. So we were going to talk a little bit about that first, but also about politics. We love talking about that. Joan, how are you? I'm great, Martha. How are you doing? Good. You were a trailblazer. Do you really think of yourself that way? (laughs) Well, some people think I I should have had my head examined. I served in the U.S. Senate for 20 years um, for working for three Georgia senators. Yeah, and I think, um, I believe I was the the first woman chief in the Georgia delegation. Yes, I think you were too. And you started out by being chief of staff to Zell Miller, correct? 
That that's right. That's right. Well, I, I I started out. You know, I covered him the eight years he was governor when I was an AP reporter at the Capitol, and um, and then when he he got that appointment from Governor Barnes to um, fill out the rest of Paul Coverdell's term when Senator Coverdell passed away so unexpectedly. Um, he, he asked if I uh, wanted to come join him in Washington. I thought, well, that would be fun. <laughs> and I, I literally, he was going to just serve those four years that were left on Coverdell's term. Um, and I thought I would go up for four years and come back and then and for, for 20. So Yeah, and I can't believe that was 20 years ago. Gosh, that I is, know it. you know, it's 22 years ago, I think now. Um, but, uh because if Barnes was still governor, it had to be before two thousand and two. So that's right. Um, it was it was um, the summer of two thousand is when Senator Coverdale passed away, and and Zell Miller got that appointment. And you started out in communications, correct? So it was kind of more of a direct line from what you had been doing. That's exactly right. I went. I started as his um, communications director, and then um, for the first, and then. Um, his chief of staff the, the second two years that he was there. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I started my Senate career and ended on 50-50 Senate, on the 50-50 Senate. It was, it was a 50-50 Senate when Bill Miller came in, in 2020 um, in, when, into it started in 2021. And, and I ended, um, sorry, in 2001. And, uh, and then I ended in 2021, um, and after the two Georgia Senate seats flipped, it was again a 50-50 Senate. So, well, and we've been um, there for about 20 years, honestly, because uh, George Bush's second election was a little more than 50 percent, but not much more than 50 percent. We haven't had, on the presidential level, we haven't had a landslide presidential election since 19, gosh, I don't know, maybe Obama's second term was a little more, but I think it was about 54, 53, something like that. So we haven't had like a Reagan level reelection in a, quite a long time. And, you know, I think we need it, Joan. I mean, I think we need <laughs> to have a big winner, whoever the president is. I talk a I lot. Know. I talk a lot about how this is kind of like the 70s, you know, where you had. Uh, a perceived weak president and Jimmy Carter. He he wasn't. He just had dealt got, got dealt a different set of cards. We had high inflation. We had violence in the cities. We had people moving from the cities to the suburbs, and it's real similar to what we're seeing right now. But I don't know who that communicator is, that person that can bring us together because I haven't seen him yet or her. <laughs> I, I think you're right, Martha. And and also each of each of these elections from Bush forward has been. It questioned, you know, the legitimacy of it has been questioned. Bush with the the hanging chads and Barack Obama with the birth certificate and 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 Trump with the you know Hillary's Russians claim and then you know the the Biden Trump twenty twenty election with fraud. So it, it's um, we 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 I I think Georgia especially could get want to get back to a a uh, solid win on. On uh, one side or the other, for goodness sake. Now, from there, you went on to be the chief of staff for Johnny Isaacson, who was uh, correct. That's that's right. And I I also had covered him when he was in the Georgia legislature, so we knew each other. And when Zell Miller announced in in two thousand three that indeed he was going to go home and he was not going to um, seek a full term to the seat. Um, Johnny called me up and asked me to meet him in the in the Capitol. He was over on the U.S. House side, of course, and I, I was over on the Senate side. And and we met in the middle on a bench, sat down on a bench, and he said, "I'm getting in this Senate race, and it's going to be an open seat, and you know, any. But if I win, I, I'd love for you to stay." And I, um, you know, on a whim, I thought to myself, "Well, it's an open Senate race; it could go it, you know, anyway." And um, and I, but I said, I said, if you win, I'll stay because it. That was just who John was, um, and the thought of I, I knew covered him, and the thought of getting to work for him was very enticing. Um, and and so I stayed, and I I had to wait my turn to become chief of staff because first it was Keith Garrett for two years, then it was Chris Carr for the next six, and then I was his final chief. Um, for his final six years in office. 
And it's it's so interesting because uh, when you look at somebody like Johnny Isaacson, I remember asking him because Johnny always did better than the average Republican in a general he election. Did. Yes, and it yes. was mainly because he was able to get a lot of the women's vote, a lot more than the traditional Republican. Because we are fifty five percent of the vote, Joan. You know, we need know. to stop acting like we're a minority part of the vote. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen, sister. So he got he got women, and he got a, a, a larger percentage of the black vote than than most Republicans as well. Yeah. Well, and I remember asking him about that at one point, and and he said, "Well, you know what, Martha? I had this company called Northside Realty, <laughs> where I had three thousand ten ninety nine employees that were mostly women and this was before non-competes he said you know so somebody could decide they didn't like me and go across the street and work for my competitor so i learned how to get along with women (laughs) oh well martha he he absolutely he not only knew how to get along with women he he revered them in a in a very respectful way and and chris and Heath will both tell you that you know, they, they claim he favored me over them. You know, that if he asked all three of us our opinion on an issue, um, he, he, Heath would answer, Chris would answer, and then I would answer. He goes, Joan, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, I can believe that because for years, and you remember this, for years, about once a year, we'd either go out to lunch, Johnny and I would, or I'd come to his office and meet with him. And we would just talk you know, openly about politics. We would just talk completely off the record. We would, we would share a lot of things and he was just a good guy, you know? Oh, he he was, he he, was. They don't make him like that anymore. A true gentleman. No. Who, and well, and when I started working for him in 2005, um, I, I needed to tell him some personal news that I was, I was going through a divorce and he, he knew my ex-husband and, uh, so I want. I said, Johnny, I, I need you to hear this from me before you hear it on the streets that that I'm, um, you know, I'm I am going through a divorce, and and a tear was trickling down my cheek as I said it. And he looked at me and he said, Darling, in 30 years of real estate, I've been through more divorces and menopauses than any man on this planet. <laughs> Whatever you need, whatever you need, and and right then I knew I had gone to work for the right guy. Yeah, um, and I laughed so hard and. That's just who he was, though. But that point of you going to him saying, I want you to hear it from me, you know, it's kind of like when you and I have had clients before, the thing I always tell them is that it doesn't matter what your bad news is. The important thing is that you tell it, you tell it yourself, and you tell it all. And (laughs) that's whether it's in a private conversation with your boss or if you're some public figure where you've got to make a public statement, the timing is really important. The timing is so important, and and I'll never forget Martha when when Johnny revealed to Keith and I, um, it privately, that he in 2015 that he had Parkinson's, and he 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 brought us in. He sat us down. He goes, "I need to tell you something. You know, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Now let's get on to this vote I've got this afternoon." I said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa!" I said, "Time out, time out." I said, "Johnny, you're in cycle." for 2016 right now. And I really think the voters need to know this. I think they, you need to be upfront with them and let them decide if they want to vote for you for reelection with all the facts on the table, because people had noticed some change in his gait and some, you know, some changes in his physical appearance. And I said, if you don't fill in the blanks for them, they will fill it in for themselves and it will be much worse. Well, he looked at me like I had three heads, like, why would I do that? Oh, my gosh. And so we went through a, a, a couple months of going back and forth over this. And, and he allowed me to talk to his neurologist and and, you know, ask all the questions that a reporter might ask. And and he came to the conclusion, OK, I'm, I'm I'll do this. I'll do this. But he was terrified. He was terrified that it was going to ruin his career. And then we announced it. And the response was overwhelming um positive of people thanking him for bringing awareness for coming you know being so honest about it and he won re-election easily um in 2016 yeah and to show that it's not the end of the world that you can go on and have 
a life. You know, there are these words, Parkinson's disease, cancer, you know, heart attack, that you hear them and you think, and you are forever changed. Okay, I went through that with my husband yes. eight and ten years ago. He had cancer, but he's now eight and ten years out from the cancer that he had, and every year is a blessing. But we had to face it, you know, head on, yes. and 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 that was the right thing to do. So you went from Johnny Isaacson to Kelly Leffler. So tell us about working for her, number one, because she's a female CEO, very different kind of situation, but also how the world changed in the 20 years you were there. Oh, well, um, to to that second point, I mean, the world changed so much. I mean, when I started in the Senate in, in, in 2001, I mean, there was... There was, um, you know, there was no social media. There and was, it was no, before nine eleven. Um, it was before nine eleven. Yes, and it and and nine eleven happened, you know, ten months after I got there. So, um, so so much has changed, and and also the climate and the camaraderie in the Senate was so much different back then. I mean, Republicans and Democrats actually talked to each other, socialized together. Um, you know, go, went out and had a drink or had dinner t- at night together. And, and today it is um, so divisive that both sides feel like they can't even be seen socializing with someone of the other side for fear that their, their voters at home um, in their base will, will punish them for it. And we've commoditized fear, division, and anger to the point where, you know, no, nobody wants to be seen with, with the other side. And that's a shame. Um, one, because you can't get anything done in the Senate with its rules w- without having support from some people on the other side. And, and, and two, it's just a shame because so much more could get resolved, I think, um, if, we, if, if more people would be willing to just reach across the aisle and talk to each other. Not give up your values or, or your beliefs, but just talk to each other. Um, but anyway, so so Kelly Leffler, yes, um, Governor Kemp appointed Kelly Leffler when Johnny had to step down at the end of, of 2019, and she was immediately thrust into uh, what was had to be Georgia's craziest election um, of all time. It was a jungle general election, meaning there was no primary where we chose one Democrat and one Republican to go to the to the general election. All the candidates, anyone who signed up to run, was on the ballot in November. And I think there were 21 yes, candidates yes. on the ballot. And then the top two vote-getters in the, of those 21 would go on to the runoff. And, of course, it ended up being um, Kelly Leffler and Raphael Warnock. Dale Warnock won the general. But it was a, um, it was a brutal year um, for someone who, who had never run for office before, um, you know, and Kelly came out of the business, the highest levels of, of the business world, um, working at, at the Intercontinental Exchange or ICE. And, um, you know, she had gone from the farm to the, the top of Wall Street, and she knew the business world so well. And I, I remember senators would, would come up to her on the Senate floor and pull her aside and said, um, Kelly, can you explain cryptocurrency to me? And, <laughs> and she could, and, and in a way that they could understand it. So, you know, um, she, she absolutely knew what she was talking about um, when, it, when it came to financial issues and business issues. Um, but she was thrust into this, you know, political free-for-all um, where, where the president, you know, had just watched um, Doug Collins um, give a, a full-throated and strong defense of him on, on Fox News every night when the House was going through the impeachment process, and 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 you know the fear was that that the president was going to come out and endorse Doug Collins, so Kelly had to immediately develop a relationship with the president, um, which she did, and and it kept him, I think, from from making an endorsement in this in this race, in this Senate race, um, well, which, and, which and helped I, her. I think it did. But just finishing up on Kelly Leffler, Joan, is that so you were with her until she left office, which was the 20th of January that day, uh, 2021. Right. And so then you came back to Georgia, right? I did. I did. You know, um, those last 
five years or so in, uh, in the Senate for me, I um, had come moved back to Georgia when Chris Carr and I got married and and was commuting back and forth to Washington. And um, I'm, I'm glad to be done with with that commute. I don't recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> but, it was yeah, hard, so, right? So it, it is hard. Um, it, and people thought, you know, think it's, oh, you're you're you commute to Washington for your job. That must be so glamorous. It's anything but glamorous. You're staying in a hotel by yourself. You know, you're um, it, you're living out of a suitcase. Um, the, the hotel clerks know you by name when you come in. That's not a great thing. Um, so I, I am so happy to um, to be based, you know, back in Georgia and and working here full time it's it's so fantastic and we've got about two minutes left i just how different has it been now making this transition from you know being kind of behind the scenes to being you know still behind the scenes in a way because you're the spouse but you're also out there a lot more i am well this um you know i've hung up my own shingle with a um, consulting firm it's just me and i i do kind of communications networking strategy the only campaign i work on though is is my husband's chris card <laughs> that's right um because it, it would get me into way too much hot water to work on anyone else's um but um and and i'm not lobbying i'm, I'm just doing kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff to keep me out of chris's lane um so to speak but yeah but it also is enormous flexibility that allows me to go on the road with him when he goes around the state um and we we like doing this together um his campaigning um i think it makes a difference when when the family shows up um and the you know the kemps have shown that's a great model um with their family as well and so so i like to go whenever possible um and you know when when we get to an event um I'm very comfortable working the room so we can kind of divide and conquer and he'll go one direction. I'll go the other and then we'll meet back up in the middle. Well, he's done a great job um, as attorney general, but also I've seen you at a bunch of these events and you are very good at it. So (laughs) it's It's great. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Well, Joan, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. And we're going to be talking to Joan more over the next few months about political issues and that kind of thing and the things that she can weigh in on because her expertise is really one that's important and we appreciate you being with us today Joan. Oh Martha it's always so great to be with you and thank you for what you do with this show. You do such a good job. Putting the talk in news talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. Joining me right now is John Ashbrook who uh, has become my new favorite person uh, along with comfortably smug Josh Holmes and Michael Duncan. They have a podcast called uh, The Ruthless uh, It's The Ruthless Podcast. Sometimes they call it The Ruthless, Ruthless Variety Show, but it comes out Tuesdays and Thursdays and um, uh, special editions sometimes. They did a live one uh, and, you know, it's, it's a must listen. It's a little irreverent, a lot irreverent really, and uh, they talk about all the things we're thinking as political operatives. John Thank you, and welcome back to the program. Well, it's great to be with you, uh, Martha. Thanks for having me. Just a real treat to to spend some time with you on a Friday morning. Oh, man, it really is. And you guys have been busy this week because you had the debate, but you didn't have a show in Tuscaloosa. Were you still mad about the college football playoffs? (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of people mad about the college football playoffs. Hey, me too. Uh, But we had... we had yeah, we had some we had some scheduling uh, conflicts, so we weren't able to make it to to this one in person. But you know, it looks like they're going to have two or maybe three more debates uh, ahead of uh, Iowa and then New Hampshire. So maybe we'll we'll be back down, and maybe yeah. we'll see you there. Yeah, I tell you what, um, I think having them in Iowa, and New Hampshire, make a lot more sense because you're actually speaking to the audience that is going to make the difference. Because you know, obviously. If there's someone besides Donald Trump as the nominee, then it's going to happen in Iowa and New Hampshire, and that's going to start things going. Yeah, no, I agree. That's 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 really the only way for it to work. And, you know, it, it seems like both uh, DeSantis and uh, Nikki Haley have sort of uh, separated themselves from the rest of the pack as the, as the, the real competitors for um, the number two spot. 
And, um, man, did they go at it uh, at the debate this week. Yeah, so there, I've heard different things. You know, Megyn Kelly thought that Nikki had her weakest performance. Um, some of you guys thought it was a good performance. Uh, she didn't go after every attack, but I personally think that's a better approach because when you get down in the mud and you end up responding to the attack, then that's all it's about is the back and forth. Now, Megan Kelly's view is, and I know you guys know her well as I do, is that she likes the back and forth. She wants it to be a gun show, you know, between the people yelling back and forth at each other. That's what she defines as a good debate. I thought this one was better because it was more substantive. Now, I know I'm a weirdo when it comes to that, right? Uh, but I like to hear what they're actually going to do. And I think that while at the beginning of DeSantis's run, he was talking a little too much about what he did in Florida, but he's found the way to do it the right way, where he says all of these things are important, and yeah, I did these things. Well, I, you know, you mentioned Megyn Kelly, and I really was so impressed by her. I'm always so impressed by her. She is, she's so professional. She does uh, such a great job in these debate environments in particular, and, um, I think, you know, News Nation was really smart to partner with her for this one. Um, but I, you know, look, I think, um, I, I think Nikki did better than, than a lot of people. Um, and, you know, I, I disagree with the people who think she didn't do a great job. I actually think she did fine. She was just the center of attention because of her meteoric rise to second place here over the past few weeks. And that's natural. And, you know, um, there were, there were a few moments where she was taking shots from Vivek and, and others and, you know, she did, she didn't respond to him directly, but that's, that's her decision. You know, she's, she is, um, she's in second place for a reason and it's because she's, she's running a good campaign. And I, I happen to think that this was probably Ron DeSantis's best performance. It seems like he's getting a little bit better with every one of these debates. And I'm, I'm with you on the substance. You know, I, I don't need to listen to them read me chapter and verse of the Federalist Papers, but I, I do like to hear Ron DeSantis talk about some of the things he's done successfully in Florida and not try to shoehorn like a weird smile at the end of every uh, everything he's saying because he's actually he's a very passionate guy. He actually has achieved a lot. And when he takes the time to talk about that or to talk about his vision and it kind of, you know, you can tell when it's coming from the heart when, when he's, uh, you know, it, it sounds extremely authentic. Um, and I think that's when he's at his best. I think that, um, you know, America, particularly you know, the Republicans really fell in love with him during COVID when every day he would do these press conferences and just, just do battle with the media. Um, and, I think that the more he can get back to that and away from this sort of like consultant driven, you have to smile at X time. I mean, he's I think he's better off. So President Trump had a town hall the night before with Sean Hannity and, uh, you know, he made a little bit of news, you know, saying that he would follow the law and he would not do any retribution except on the first day is what he said, you know, which was kind of interesting. <laughs> he says, except on the yeah. first day, he was very Donald Trump. So what do you think about this strategy of him? He always does some sort of an event parallel to these debates, but he's not going to the debates. Well, if you talk to his campaign, and I'm sure you've heard this from from them uh, as well, but they'll tell you that we are running a campaign to win votes, not to entertain people. And so I think um, I, I personally wish he would show up at the debates because I think he's I think he can he can do both um, in these debates. I think that he's got the talent. We certainly saw in 2016 he has the talent to go head to head with other candidates. Um, uh, and I think, I don't think I'm alone in that opinion. I think a lot of people around the country would love to see him, uh, in the debates, but, um, you know, that's, that's just a, it's just a strategic decision they've made and they're not, doesn't sound like they're, they're going to change it. Um, but they're also not going to give up center stage entirely. And, you know, he's, he has, he has held, um, parallel events, not, you know, basically at every single one of these with varying degrees of success. 
it seemed like the one in Tuscaloosa drew a, a bunch of people. And, and I mean, I, I saw the Trump, the Trump team bragging about uh, what they achieved that night. So I, you know, I think they feel very confident in their, um, in their decision on this, on this uh, avoiding the debate um, thing. But uh, he, he is still head and shoulders above everybody else. So they, they must be doing something right. So the person who was really on, I think, uh, the other night was Chris Christie. You know, I just mm-hmm. love Chris Christie. I, my dad was from New Jersey, and so I just love that whole attitude. I know he doesn't have a chance, but he has said he's he is like, taking the position he's going to burn the house down. He is going to say what he thinks he should say. And you really saw that Chris Christie you've been looking for in that debate on Wednesday night because he didn't leave anything out. Yeah, I, I had hoped, Martha, to, to get more of that in previous debates. I mean, you saw some glimmers of it, but I was I was disappointed in the first debate because I yep. thought that was coming, you know, like a Mack truck. And it just, he, he was okay, but it wasn't like, you know, two nights ago when he was really on, you're right. And, you know, a lot of people are out there, they disagree with his politics. They, they you know, they're not sure that they want the guy from New Jersey um, as the standard bearer for the Republican Party. But I think if everyone's being honest, they're, they're entertained by his style. You know, I mean, they love which is one of the reasons he, you know, sort of catapulted the scene in the beginning, because he would take people head on in, um, you know, in, in, in even the smallest of situation. And he, he's not afraid to go head to head. He's got a little bit of that that Trump um, style and I, I don't, I, I think, he, I think he was great. Um, I, I love that. He wasn't just going to let Vivek talk and talk and talk without a response <laughs> um, because he's smart. He's, he's been there. He's done a lot of, he's a very accomplished guy. So um, I, I agree with you. He was, yeah. he was really good. He was good. We're talking to John Ashberg from the Ruthless Podcast, and I got, like, two more questions for you. One, um, my favorite guy in the race, Doug Burgum, got out this week mm-hmm. because, and what I loved mm-hmm. about Doug, Doug Burgum, I'm married to a primary care physician, so he was the only person that was in the first debate where he actually told the truth about health care, where he said, mm-hmm. you know, that health care is the only business in the world that has added more technology and is less efficient. <laughs> And my husband was like cheering because he's gone from (laughs) he's gone from being able to see lots of patients when he needs to, because sometimes you need to see a lot of patients. Sometimes you have time. It depends on if you got the flu or the whatever. And Mm -hmm. and this this thing where you're asking questions that have nothing to do with the patient's visit and you've got to put it in this electronic records thing and the and the doctor is sitting there you know looking at the keyboard and not at you um it's it's a mess and doug burgum's mm-hmm. talked in a way that he really understood a lot of things i never thought he had a chance uh because he's a, from a state where he got two hundred fifty thousand votes to win right but mm-hmm. he w- he added something to the race he really did he, he he really did, and he's you know his background is really one of the great American stories. He came from basically nothing in the middle of nowhere, uh, started working as a chimney sweep, and um, you know built himself built an education for himself, and then then he decided to start a technology company. And when it hit big, he made the decision to not move the technology company to. Uh, the West Coast, like a lot of other people were doing, he kept it in North Dakota where people could have employment, where he knew that he was going to have the type of character in the people who are working there that you really can't get in California. So he's done a lot for that state. Um, he's he's done a lot on, you know, even on issues like he, he's taken on uh, substance abuse in, in a way that a lot of other governors um, are, are trying to replicate in their own state. He's just a tremendous guy. He, it, it's a shame to see him um, depart from the presidential uh, contest, but I don't think this is 
the last we'll see of Doug Burgum. I think this guy's going to be around for a very long time. Yeah, he was great. I enjoyed watching him. Uh, now, finally, I do have to get to college football because you guys had a lot <laughs> to say about it on your podcast. Yeah. And I am yeah. what they call a double dog, a double dog, yeah. D-A-W-G, yeah. because I have two degrees yeah. from the University of Georgia. My kids went to the University of Georgia. I met my husband at Myers Hall at the University of Georgia. So I have been a University of Georgia football fan for the many years. They were like five and six and six and five and seven and four, you know, for all those years that we we didn't we were good. We were always good. We were always on the verge of good because, of course, we were SEC. So we were better than anybody Mm -hmm. else. Um, But um, but the last three years have been remarkable. I mean, Kirby Smart. And in fact, I think Kirby's team this year is the best view of his coaching ability because basically he had to start over because so many went to the NFL. And so Mm -hmm. this was a brand new team from the two teams that he uh, won championships with. And, you know, yeah, Alabama beat us by three points. They didn't play that well that day either, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, what should have happened, in my view, is I don't even think Georgia should have been in there. I think it should have been Texas, FSU, Michigan, and Washington. Because Mm -hmm. in the SEC could have been out. And even though I'm a huge SEC fan, I'm going to be rooting for Michigan in that game against Alabama. Well, I, um, we are not a double dog household, uh, (laughs) Martha. I, I'm from the Midwest and my, my, I married a Tennessee volunteer though. Well, well, I'm uh, sorry about, I mean, I'm happy for you, but they've had a hard time. (laughs) They have, they have. So not unfamiliar with SEC ball. In fact, I really, like it and i love the rivalry that has taken off between the big 10 and the sec online and and all the fans going after each other i I totally agree with you that i think i mean florida state got snubbed they won every one of their games um they they should have been in it i I don't know what else you're supposed to do besides win all of your games and i mean they beat lsu they they felt like they were playing easy teams so i think they should be in um it, it 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 really makes me like look forward to next year when they expand the playoff. And then you can have, you know, Georgia would have been in that, right? Well, all Georgia of us Alabama. all of us Georgia fans are looking at the Georgia FSU game uh at, that'll be I guess what the or, Orange Bowl or something like that. Uh the Georgia FSU mm-hmm. game is going to be the real national championship game. That's so <laughs> <laughs> what we're going to call it. You got to You got to make sure Absolutely. And obviously I, I love it because, you know, my dad wanted me to be a boy, so I know all about football. I can I can look at the plays, I can call the positions, I can do all that kind of stuff and it's given me a lot of fun in my life. John Ashbrook, if people want to know more about the Ruthless Ruthless Podcast, how can they do that? Just go to ruthlesspodcast dot com and everything is right there. It's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN. It is the Martha Zoller Show. I'm here with Shondell Summer, and now we're joined by Heath Garrett, who was uh, former chief of staff to Johnny Isaacson. He is a political uh, strategist and has run many, many campaigns uh, in Georgia and across the country. Uh, Heath, welcome back to the program. How are you? Martha, it's great to be with you on a Friday. Yeah, what a busy so week. It has been a busy week. And uh, look, this obviously the elephant in the room or the elephant not in the room is former President Donald Trump, who does these kind of parallel events at the time these debates happen. But we are now down to four people in these debates. And it looks like the consolidation is happening. And we're going to get to a point probably by the time we get through New Hampshire where it's going to be pretty clear who is going to be the South Carolina primary. And the hope is that it's it's more of a two-person race at that point in time so that we can actually know uh, who's going to be the nominee of this party. While I think it's very likely it's going to be former President Trump, uh, there's still a lot of work to be done between now and then. Your thoughts on the debate? No, absolutely right. I mean, these, these debates have been really interesting. You know, they were designed to start whittling down these overcrowded fields that we have now. Uh, you know, once uh, Citizens United and all the uh, Super PAC money got in, we started having 16, 14, 12 candidates run. We'd never seen that before in history. And so the process is, it seems to be working, Martha, right? We started out with a huge number on stage and we whittled it down to four 
Uh, one of those individuals is really only there because he's a self-funder, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. And so he's, he's still there. Um, I do think you see the natural progress. I think you're exactly right. Um, Iowa uh, and after New Hampshire, I think we should be down to one or two at, at best. Um, there is a chance that a couple of folks might be out before then, and it all depends on what these uh, super PACs are able to to fund through Christmas and early part of January. But uh, I'm not sure this debate moved the needle too much for anybody, um, and it does seem there's consolidation in and around Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley kind of vying for that final spot, and we can kind of see where it's naturally headed. You know, I did not have a problem with Nikki not responding to every attack. I think that uh, I think that people are tired, kind of tired of that, and especially women are tired of the arguing back and forth, uh, which are the people that are going to decide these races. Um, I thought DeSantis did a better job of honing that. I did it in Florida message. He was a little tired with it earlier in the campaign, but he used it very effectively, I thought, in this debate where he would talk about particular bills and he would say yeah and this is what we did in florida so he could show and there is a huge difference between the, being the governor of florida and being the governor of south carolina i mean it's 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 25 million people versus four or five million people uh it's been a, he is the governor right now and it's been a little while since nikki's been the governor i like nikki haley a lot and i do think that it's not a bad thing that groups are kind of coalescing behind her that are across the political spectrum. Your thoughts? No, I think that's exactly right. If you look at we, we in our business like to look at trend lines. Uh, and unfortunately for Governor DeSantis, he came in with such high expectations seven or eight months ago, and he's underperformed those expectations. So his trend line both in Iowa, New Hampshire, and other places, has kind of been a downward trend line. And about a month or two ago, he started to stabilize. So he's plateaued. It's not a downward trend anymore for him, but he's he's off of his highs. And that performance was better than his last two or three. But these kind of debate formats are not his forte, and they're not the best venue for him. And that happens to a lot of candidates. Nikki Haley's trend line has been up, up, and still going up, even though she is receiving some criticism from her opponents and from pundits. And one of the interesting stats I've seen, Martha, is that she was the most Googled um, search, you know, on, on the stage that night. And so that tells me that people are still just now tuning into who she is, whereas they've known Ron DeSantis, they know Donald Trump, and so she has still, to me, the most room for growth. And I would be watching that trend line and see if she does in a week from now continue to go upward in Iowa, New Hampshire, and in donations and in Google searches. So what what do you think is ultimately going to happen? Because we're talking about these candidates that are in the 10 to 15 percent range. Um, That's right. The former president is still over 50 percent. Most polls, I'm seeing a few polls that it's around four, it's, it's below 50. So there's there is a little bit of erosion, but he's still way ahead. So if you're advising one of these candidates, what are you telling them to do? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm advising them to be patient. I think that, and I, and I advise, uh, you know, our listeners out there to try not to pay attention to national polls because Trump has a, a much more sizable lead there. But to really pay attention to what are the polls saying in Iowa and then eventually in New Hampshire and South Carolina. And there the gap is narrowing. Uh, Donald Trump is, you know, still has a sizable lead, but it's not as solid in Iowa. And you are seeing both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis kind of grab greater share. What I would have them continue to do is start to emphasize kind of their values. Uh, you mentioned it. Ron DeSantis did a good job talking about what he has done in, in uh, Florida. I think Nikki Haley needs to continue to brandish her bona fides, if you will, and both as a governor and chief executive of South Carolina. But also, she has the advantage of being able to talk about foreign policy and national security in a way that the others cannot. And so if she continues to do that, she'll have success. And they have to find ways to differentiate, as I call it, they have to call balls and strikes on Donald Trump. Uh, but they have to be careful because they can't be viewed as just anti-Trump like the media and like the national punditry is. And so 
when they find ways to call balls and strikes on Donald Trump's either tweets or some of the policies that may not have been successful, I think they'll continue to erode his lead in Iowa. But if we get it down to one or two people, I think you'll see it become a much more competitive race with Donald Trump in those first three states. Now, there's a lot of talk about realigning of the parties, okay, that there are traditionally Democratic constituencies that are leaning a little bit more Republican. There are tr- traditionally Republican constituencies. You know, it used to be country club Republicans, right? And now the the richest zip codes in America are Democrat, heavily Democrat. And so right. um, what are, are you seeing any of this? Because there's talk about potentially, you know, having 20% of the African-American vote voting Republican this time. Uh, we've always garnered a larger portion of the Hispanic vote. And then now with what's going on in Israel and Gaza, you know, I think there are a lot of Jewish voters who typically vote Democrat that are thinking, who who are the people we should vote with? Are you? Do you think that's just a lot of pundit talk, or do you think there's actually a shift going on? Look, there is a potential realignment for both parties, but that only matters if the candidates running in those parties actually reach out to those who are, shall we call it, up in the air. There's no doubt that not only in the state of Georgia, but in the nation, the fastest group of voters are people that are truly not only identifying as independent voters, but we're seeing them vote across the party lines on the same ballot. You know, Martha, you and I know that we used to be able to see like 90% of the people would vote straight ticket up and down the ballot. I think that's, that's growing us in the 80s now. And I think we see a couple of different groups that I'm paying attention to. There's no doubt that Republicans have a chance to grow their electorate share with African-American entrepreneurs, uh, families, and churchgoers that are out there. The further away a black voter is from the center of Atlanta, Georgia, for example, they might be willing to give Republicans a chance as long as that Republican is addressing the, the kitchen table issues that that family is dealing with uh, as the Democrats push some socially conservative African-American voters away. We also have a huge opportunity to grow our share with Hispanic voters, uh, with our friends from Asia and India and others. And so I think there's a huge opportunity there. And then you get to what uh, the Israeli Hamas situation is doing to kind of moderate uh, white Democrats who are looking at their party and going, wait, I don't recognize a party that can in any way or shape or form align itself with Hamas who are truly international terrorists. So, and, but at the same point in time, Martha, I think what we as Republicans have to be careful of is that white men, white college-educated men under the age of 60 are also starting to become more independent and move away from Republicans where they used to vote straight ticket for Republican. They're starting to pick and choose if they think that that Republican is getting too far out there on populism or other issues that don't address their kitchen table issues. And so that's where the Democrats see an opportunity. And, and we, of course, you know, I'm a lifelong Republican, I'm always going to be one. But I want to make sure we don't start losing, you know, not just suburban women, but college-educated men under the age of 60. That's a real concern for us as Republicans. Absolutely. Heath Garrett, thank you so much for being with us today. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Martha. To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com, and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.